Are you a farmer or dairy business of the future? Then we encourage you to attend our annual Dairy Strong Conference on January 19th through the 20th in Madison, Wisconsin, or participate virtually. Dairy Strong brings together a wide variety of management philosophies and shares innovative ideas with forward-thinking farmers and dairy businesses to explore. Registration and sponsorship opportunities are available at dairyforward.com. Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Once again, welcome. Today on Dairy Stream, we're going to revisit the topic of renewable natural gas as we do visit today with Professor Tim Bay. He's a professor of business development, energy finance, and state energy specialist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Now, in today's first segment, we do want to focus in on terms used when discussing renewable natural gas, or as we might mention during the podcast, RNGs. And first of all, Professor Bay, thank you very much for being a part of Dairy Stream and sharing your insights. I would like to begin with just your basic definition of carbon footprint and really what it looks like when we talk about its involvement in agriculture. Oh, thank you, Mike. Carbon footprint is, it is most basic, is how much carbon is embedded or part of the product you sell as a farmer. So how much carbon is there in a hundred weight of milk? Or mm-hmm. how much carbon is there in the production of a bushel of corn or a bushel of beans or a ton of forage? And the methods of calculating that are sort of agreed upon at the global level. And then the lower we go on the food chain, to the producer level, those kind of standards are still evolving. But in essence, it's how much carbon was used up and produced is embedded in the production of your most basic unit on the farm level, whether that be 100 pounds of milk or or a bushel or a ton. That's pretty basic. Thank you very much for clarifying that. So let's move to the kind of the central topic, and that is renewable natural gas. I think most people understand what natural gas is, but when you put that word renewable before it, what does that really mean, and how is it different than other natural gas? Renewable natural gas is used with carbon organics that were recently produced. So that may be, you know, biomass or vegetable matter or food wastes, or it may be manure. But renewable natural gas comes from a source of feedstock that was produced recently within the last few years, if not the last few months, as compared to natural gas, which is a fossil fuel, which Mm -hmm. was the biomass that produced that natural gas was produced tens of thousands, if not hundreds of years ago. Well, just to add on to that, as far as trending, are we trending toward using more renewable natural gas, or is this something that maybe be a target down the road? Well, my first renewable natural gas project was in 1984 in Green Bay. Oh, okay. A little company mm-hmm. called Packerland Packing. I remember yeah. it well. Yeah, Norval Dvorak was uh, was our client. I was working for an engineering firm called Fulton Van Dyke. 
Mm-hmm. I'm just called. And that was my first anaerobic digester project. It was at the slaughterhouse. The next one was right down the road at the Winnebago landfill. Right. And that was recovering landfill gas, which was produced by your and my waste thrown in the landfill. They throw a cover on that, and then they put in pipes and they collect it. And that gas went to the local prison for steam production right. and cleaning up their laundry and providing a laundry service to the local community. The Packerland one is from waste. The landfill one was from waste. And that's really where the majority of the source of renewable natural gas in the United States comes from. Now, there are other places in the world, and particularly in Europe, where some farming operations have basically stopped producing anything but feedstock for their digester. And that's because the markets for renewable natural gas um, are pretty strong. In the United States, the demand for RNG, that's the acronym for it, has right. gone up substantially over the last 10 years. And the interest, Mike, I've been doing this since 84. I mean, I'm, I'm just old, but um, <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. And most of the expectations are that demand for RNG will, will continue to increase. Now, if I could expand on that real briefly, there's two sure. different markets for RNG. One is for transportation fuel. That's the strongest market right now. And that's where RNG is just like compressed natural gas. And the biggest market for that are trucking companies. Companies that are running large fleets. And actually, the, the company that buys it are the oil companies. Because then they support these fleets. The second area, and it's a much smaller but potentially much larger is for heating. That's either space heating, like your and my homes, or process heating for producing steam and manufacturing situations. All three of those markets are trending up at the moment. All right. Well, thank you for that answer. And you're not really getting old. I remember covering that story over at uh, Packer Land. So I like to use the word that we've, we're more seasoned or mature. So we'll just use that in describing ourselves. Again, our guest is uh, Professor Tim Bay of Business Development, Energy Finance and State Energy Specialist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. We're talking about RNGs, which is the acronym for Renewable Natural Gas. And we we'll want to move to a couple other terms and maybe explain to folks what those really mean. Because they're, they're here the term carbon label and carbon market. I mean, what is that and what is available for farmers? Well, let's go, let's go, let's start with the carbon labeling first. Okay. The, my first question was about carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my answer was how much carbon did it take to produce that hundred weight of milk? Well, carbon labeling is basically a labeling, just like nutrition or content labeling that says, okay, this is how much carbon is included in this product. And there are, oh, six or seven different labeling outfits. The Carbon Trust is by far and away the largest. And that's it. all carbon labeling is, is a snapshot, basically the vintage. This is my, um, my shipment of milk that went out, or this is my last 30 days of milk that, I, that went out. And this is the carbon footprint of that milk. Okay. Now, carbon markets are... Twofold. 
But it all boils down to what's called carbon accounting. Carbon accounting is a combination of that carbon footprint, but also it's the reporting of a company's environmental impact to their shareholders and stakeholders. Mm-hmm. These are reports called ESG, Environmental, Societal, and Governance Reports. Now, if this is the first time you've heard about it, um, good for you. You've been spending more done your attention on more productive things. But <laughs> if you have heard about it, it has become one of the dominant trends in the last 10 years that's accelerated in the last five years tremendously for corporations, global, especially multinational mm-hmm. corporations. They filed these reports to demonstrate good citizenship in the environmental and the social and their governance practices. Well, there's a certain type of carbon accounting that goes into this reporting. And so carbon markets for the farm are twofold. One, you're your own carbon market. If I, I'm, I own a place west of Boscoville. I'm, I grew up on a dairy farm. I know lots of dairy farmers. And if they change practices to reduce their carbon footprint, they can consume that reduction in their own reporting. They are their own carbon market. Because if Got I, it. let's say, you, you switch from one energy source to another and it reduces your carbon footprint, now... I'm my own carbon market. I can reduce it there. And then I can report it to my buyers so that my cheese company then reports it to their buyers. Mm -hmm. And their buyers then report it to their shareholders. There's a second market. That's where I change a practice. And I bundle that up and I says, I'm not going to reduce my carbon footprint internally. I'm going to take this carbon. I'm going to create a carbon offset and I am going to sign up for a program with some of the private sector providers, they're going to package that, and they're going to sell it to one of these companies that needs to reduce their carbon footprint. So they're going to pay me to change a practice. Let's say it's a tillage practice. I'm going to do cover crops. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do cover crops or go from conventional till to to no-till or from minimum till to no-till. And I can sign up in a program, and for a certain number of acres – I generate these carbon offsets, they get packaged, I get paid some, they get sold to a company who says, okay, I encourage this dairy farmer to change, I'm taking credit on the carbon market for what they did. Okay, well, thank you very much. I think that's pretty thorough understanding and explanation of exactly what carbon labeling and carbon market is and how it is available and impacts uh, the agriculture community. Another term I know that people have been hearing is carbon intensity. So if you don't mind, what about your basic definition of that and how is carbon intensity or CI actually calculated? Well, there's two ways. Pardon me for doing that. I'm doing the professor thing, but there is. There's two ways. That's okay. Carbon intensity in the simplest thing is a carbon footprint okay. of a lot of a, of a, of a vintage or a, a lot of product, okay, uh, an amount. It's no different. Where it's used and it's u- being used on an increasing rate is by models um, 
that calculate the incentive or eligibility or attractiveness of a certain agricultural product and where the CI carbon intensity is most active is in the RNG market, in the renewable natural gas market. California is the biggest market for RNG, and they mm-hmm. use a model that was developed by a federal lab. It's called the GREED model. And they calculate what the carbon intensity is of RNG, or the CI, using this model. The lower that CI, lower the carbon intensity, or lower the carbon footprint, of that renewable natural gas, the higher the incentive, the higher its value is to the oil companies who have to buy it. So your goal is a CI reduction? I mean, is that what they're trying to do and that's what's going to give them better options? Yes, yes. And in this case, for instance, manure. And the baseline for manure is that it will be stored in, in an uncovered lagoon and then it will be field spread during those periods of time that it's allowed to be spread on the field. Okay. And that's the baseline. So the right. science says, okay, what's the carbon impact or the greenhouse gas impact of that current baseline practice? Now, if I change that, and in some places, because of the weather, they can just put a cover on the lagoon mm-hmm. and then they just capture the gas. In Wisconsin, we have this thing called winter. Right. So um, somebody out there may have heard of that. It gets a little. And so we have different types of digester systems. They're more, they're more capital intense. They take more management. But we, we get a lot better gas conversion and capture. So if you can push a manure, if you can push it down to what's called a, a negative 250 to negative 300 CI, and I'm not going to get into the, all the nitty-gritty details what that means is, but it means that it's 300% less environmentally damaging than, gas, than, than, than zero or gasoline, which is at 100 CI. So it's 400 times okay. more attractive than gasoline. By capturing all that greenhouse gas that would have normally come from the lagoon or land spreading, you get a credit for it. And that's where that CI is most commonly applied, is with RNG valuation. And what do you mean by a credit? I mean, is this just an image enhancer for my environmental impact, or actually is this something that can be a financial reward? It's a huge financial reward because if I'm a fuel blender in California and I have two laws that I have to comply with, I have to comply with the federal law, which is the renewable fuel standard, and I have to comply with the California law, which is the California Air Resources Board and the low carbon fuel standard. If I buy manure from a Midwestern digester, I'm going to be paying all in a fairly high amount for that gas and it re but the more that i buy the less overall i have to replace from my conventional fossil fuel because it has the lowest possible carbon intensity manure generated biogas if i just switch to natural gas i gotta buy a lot more natural gas 
Got it. Because it doesn't have a lower carbon intensity than renewable does. Now, the dairy farmer in Wisconsin that installs a digester has to have a couple of things here in place. One, they have to have an ability to clean that gas up when it gets digested in order to put it on a pipeline. Now, if they have a pipeline nearby and they can run a pipe to that pipeline, they can have an injection point nearby. Okay. Um, in some circumstances, some operations are actually cleaning it up, putting it on a truck, and running the truck to the injection point. Well, that that's more costly. Right. So one of the big things is having it having a pipeline a collection capability um, in the state. And that's something actually the state's exploring right now. Yes, the price is very attractive. If you can clean up renewable natural gas at the digester and insert it into a pipeline that you can say theoretically that, that molecule of methane can go from uh, Osseo, Wisconsin to L.A., you can sell it into the California market, and um, the pricing can't hold me to this because it changes all the time, but all in, the value is going to be north of 60 and probably a little south of $90 a decather, of which only about $4 is worth the heat value. The rest of it is all incentives. Got it. Again, you're listening to Professor Tim Bay. He's Professor of Business Development out of the UW in Madison. We're talking about renewable natural gas, and the acronym is RNG, so you might hear us mention that a couple of times. We're going to be taking a break in a couple of moments, but before we do that, Tim, uh, you did mention the state, and I'm just wondering, you know, how would a state-sanctioned carbon accounting and labeling system actually work? Well, thanks, Mike. Actually, this is a project that I'm very involved with at the moment. There are private sector carbon accounting. We talked about that ESG reporting. Every company draws from the same general international agreements and then customizes it for themselves. And one of the biggest opportunities, especially for agriculture, is to address all the concerns that are being expressed, especially animal egg. We have a big mm -hmm. target on our back. We sure do. Is say, okay, how can we be part of the solution here? One of the things that's being explored is developing a very simple, standardized uh, a carbon accounting system for the state of Wisconsin through a voluntary tax schedule. And that tax schedule might be maybe three pages long. It'll, if it's effective, It'll use NRCS data, it'll use herd data, it'll use crop consultant data, it'll use information that you get from your milk caller and your cheese plant, and we won't be, cool. we won't be asking for a whole lot of new information. Basically, it's collecting information that's already being produced or readily available at the farm. Mm, okay. The state, the state sanction part of it is using the tax code. Right. It's by having a relatively simple form that is a voluntary form available to all farming operations. Well, now we've got a standard. 
and we got a standard way of collecting information, a standard way of evaluating that information, and if I have anything to say over it, a standard way for the farmer to access the information so that they can see it day in and day out. And then they can control who they share that information with, whether that be um, internally for their own planning or whether they share that with their customers to help their customers, again, do their own carbon accounting. And in some cases, and I hope that this is, becomes a, a prevailing practice, they get a premium for doing it. Okay. Really just calculating the carbon footprint of the, car, of the farm's production and doing it in a way that's simple, straightforward, and has the blessings of the uh, state of Wisconsin behind it. Yeah, and that is, it almost sounds too simple when you think you're going to get government involved. Do you have any uh, timeline for this in mind, or is this still just a project that's got to go through quite a few steps? Well, there was a legislative task force created in March this past year. It was, uh, it's being championed by um, Gary Talkin. Do you, you feel positive about its future? There's a request for comment document out right now. The committee chairs, there's four committee chairs from the Assembly and two from the Senate that signed the cover letter for this, Mike. So they're expecting this task force to evaluate comments from um, the dairy industry and lots of other stakeholders and put something forward in January or February this, this upcoming year. Okay, and we'll cover that in their second half again on, again, how farmers can actually advocate for this uh, project. But before we take our break, one final question, and you've kind of talked about how this is trending already, but uh, what are the market expectations for RNGs, in your opinion? There's concerns and expectations, and I'll, I'll just put the concern right up front. Okay. Um, this, is, this has been a policy-driven marketplace for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, mainly on the backs of the consumers and taxpayers in California. Mm-hmm. That patience that Cal- the California folks have shown, the rest of the industry, it's not sustainable, but they broke a lot of new ground. Oregon's come on board. Washington's coming on board. New York is coming on board. There's a lot of talk throughout the corporate sector about the value of RNG as part of their energy mix. We may not see the pricing this is high as it is through the California program, but we may see a lot, a much larger market evolve. It's one of those areas where in the renewable energy world, it's the last one that's being dealt with. We have electrical power and lots yeah. of different options there. But in terms of thermal, energy, um, that one's still a fairly fairly new and evolving one. But the market expectations are quite, quite high, and I think the market will remain fairly strong for at least the next 10, 15 years. I can hear that optimism in your voice. That is Professor Tim Bay. He is the Professor of Business Development, Energy Finance, and State Energy Specialist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. We are spending time today on Dairy Stream talking about uh, renewable natural gas, its current situation, and also looking into the future. We're also trying to better explain some of the basic terms and aspects of natural gas so you do understand uh, your involvement, what's there for you, and what could 
how this could impact not only your environment, but your pocketbook as well. And we're going to take a look at future focus for farmers on RNG when we continue here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Meet Max, your Cargill Consultants Upgraded Sidekick. Dairy Max takes the doubt out of complex challenges. Whenever you've got to make a tough nutrition decision, we can just ask Max. We've updated our powerful software solution to give your Cargill consultant the clarity needed to help make complex decisions. More detailed data, better insights, real-time feedback. Everything your consultant needs to add more precision and profitability to your nutrition and make tough decisions easier. To learn more about Dairy Max, contact your local Cargill consultant today or visit cargill.com backslash meetmax. Well, welcome back to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Today, we're looking at renewable natural gas, and our guest has been Professor Tim Bay. He is a professor of business development, energy finance, and state energy specialist at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Uh, in this segment of Dairy Stream, uh, we're discussing the future and the future focus for farmers when it comes to renewable natural gas. And we'd like to begin with the size of a farm, if we could, Professor Bay. Uh, when we talk about uh, RNGs, is that an option for all size farms? And if not, what size farms would this be the most profitable or most successful? Well, let's um, think about RNG for just a second in terms of what markets are available. Now, RNG for transportation fuel is the most attractive market currently. And, and and we talked to Mike as we talked about in the first part, the California market, the Oregon market, and, and, and a couple of others on the East Coast um, represent those transportation fuel markets. But in order to access to that, you have to have access to a pipeline or some way of getting your biogas into a pipeline. So scale of, of operation, having 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 or more head, that certainly helps in producing the amount of gas. But if you don't have access to the pipeline, the economics may fall apart. Understand. Okay. Okay. So the other market is electrical production. And electrical production is twofold. One, you got your own load right on your operation. You've got chillers, you got pumps, you got fans, you use power. That's your first market. The second market is then putting it on the grid. And right now, in the last for the last 10 years, in the state of Wisconsin, the utilities have not had a what, what I would call a compliance market or regulated market to take on more renewables. They've hit that market long ago. They hit that number long ago, right? about 10 years ago. Yep. And all other renewable right now isn't coming from biogas facilities, which is more costly than solar and wind. But that market still exists, and there's one aspect to it. We all hear about storage and solar and storage and wind. Well, gas can be stored, too. It can be dispatchable. So the renewable power market isn't viable today because of the economics. But technically, there's no reason why biogas-generated power cannot be provided throughout the state by many dairy operations. 
and you don't need access to a pipeline to put power on the grid. Now, there is a there is a rule that was published in 2014 by the federal government that if power generated from biogas is dedicated to supporting electrical vehicle charging uh, facilities, then that biogas it becomes eligible for the same programs that ethanol represents. Oh, okay. Or that the liquid fuel market in California represents. It, it is the electrical vehicle charging from biogas. We call it the ERIN program for short. That hasn't, though the rule was made, there's no projects that have been accepted. So there's still a lot of pressure from the industry, from the dairy industry, from the RNG industry to make that happen. If there's not an option to produce power, then the size of the operation is one. It's a function of being close by a uh, gas transportation pipeline to having a pipeline operator that's willing to work with the biogas facility. And three, that the numbers all make sense. So while you may have a, a very large operation, you may, if you don't have access to the pipeline, the economics probably will get in your way. Okay, but you can have a smaller operation and have access to the pipeline. And it's going to work. Numbers. Yep. Okay. So basically, it could be size neutral if those other points, as you said, uh, become reality. You did mention a few of those challenges or obstacles to making this successful for farmers. If you just kind of reiterate, give me a short little shopping list, what would be in your mind, maybe the top three or four things they're going to have to change or have to be available to say, yes, indeed, as a producer, this could be successful for me? Sure. Okay. So there's you start at the beginning. You look at your nutrient management plants and your nutrient management practices and said, okay, if I were to change, what options do I have available? And rather than just chasing the RNG option saying, okay, if, am I just change, am I just chasing RNG or do I want a more, uh, let's call it a holistic approach to managing the carbon footprint of my operation. There are other ways of addressing nutrient management, both through practices and technology. You can put a solid separator and dramatically reduce the carbon intensity of your operation and improve the soil treatment value of your nutrients. If RNG is what you really want to pursue and you're not milking 5,000 or more head and you're in that sweet spot um, looking to collaborate with your neighbors that are in proximity to you is probably your best bet. Okay. And that may be either moving the nutrients to the facility or more locating smaller facilities and moving the gas to one cleanup facility that then it can be marketed from that one cleanup facility. That's a spoken wheel or a gas collection process. And actually, we talked about, Mike, earlier, we talked about the carbon accounting project. Right. Well, looking at the infrastructure needs to expand the access by many more dairy farms to the gas pipeline is the second part of that project. Got it. That's saying, how would we best put a gas collection system in? 
better serve our dairy operators and expand the options they've got for biogas. You're listening to comments from Professor Tim Bay from the University of Wisconsin out of Madison. Our subject today on Dairy Stream is renewable natural gas, and we certainly have been getting a lot of insights on that. And during our, our first segment of our conversation, Tim, you, you did talk about going on here in the state of Wisconsin, uh, you know, possibility of a state-sanctioned carbon accounting and labeling system, and you kind of explained your involvement in that as well. Besides something like that, uh, what other policy items do you see that are necessary or that might be on the horizon that could impact the future of RNG? One of the things is the role of these pipelines that we just talked about. Okay. And one of the questions that this legislative group is asking is whether the stakeholders in Wisconsin think that the Wisconsin should develop a statewide biogas master plan. And what that would be is looking at the current gas pipeline system and the current production of milk and dairy operations in the state and developing an engineering plan to expand access of collecting biogas from dairy operations. So that's the physical part of it. Okay. And if it makes sense, and if we had, there's the support by the stakeholders and the legislature and the people to do so, then we'll, the state of Wisconsin should then be preparing to participate in any federal inter- infrastructure program to, 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 to use that and build back, quote unquote, build back better in the dairy sector. The second part of that would be to look at the we, I, in my business, we call it the transactional side, okay? The agreements, the requirements, the standards, the contracts, the permits that are all involved in this. And said, okay, if the state of Wisconsin wants to encourage waste energy, nutrient management, and renewable energy, what do we need to do to change those, those contracts? or to update those contracts and update the regulations to encourage this kind of investment. So there are two things happening at the state level. One's the physical infrastructure, looking at the extension of the gas collection system throughout the state. The second is to look at the permitting and contractual element between the farmer and the digester operator, if they're two different, and then the digester operator and the transmission, the gas pipeline operator and see if we can streamline that process while addressing concerns for all the parties in there so that everybody's given a fair shake. Well, you certainly have given us a buffet of ideas to chew upon and think about as we look at uh, renewable natural gas and the role that producers in particular will be playing into the future. And I kind of want to close on that. Uh, As a farmer that's listening to this podcast today, and you've mentioned a, a set of tools already, but I was hoping maybe you could just prioritize them as well. So, you know, what set of tools do I as a farmer need to optimize when it comes in to optimizing my carbon footprint? First thing is is to use your ears and ask questions from your milk buyer. Find out, do they have a program? And do they have training and and an overview on that program so they can better understand what their market is asking? Second is if they're enrolled in any of the federal programs as the contact or NRCS people and ask them, for updates on what USDA is doing. Now, the third part 
is Extension. And my appointment is with UW Extension at Madison. Mm-hmm. We are preparing as well, but without these standards, without a state-sanctioned process, it's still kind of the Wild West out there, Mike, is that there's lots of different programs. If they are involved and interested in this, is to contact EBA. We've got great people that are working on this project. Contact your state representatives and express an interest in, in, in seeing more about this because I know that the Senate and Assembly Ag Committees will be addressing this topic in, um, in January and February this upcoming year. The second part of that is just to be curious. And one of the other options they're looking at is to support basically a creation of a marketplace that would be administered through GodCap and that would match grain and forage producers with dairy operators that are all looking to manage their carbon footprint so that we can find each other. And for those that are actually looking at producing a a lower carbon intensity forage or grain or a vet who's interested in this and can support a farm's carbon accounting, well, there's this marketplace stuff that happens in the social media and online that can match me. And encouraging the state of Wisconsin to look at supporting that effort probably makes a lot of sense as well. Well, you certainly made a lot of sense during our conversation today on Dairy Stream. I want to thank you for all your time, your insights, and your expertise. I think you made it pretty clear there in your closing of how farmers can advocate for the RNG project, especially the state-sanctioned carbon accounting and labeling system. But just in case maybe somebody didn't catch some of the earlier part of the conversation or, again, was trying to decide, you know, what's really in it for me? How will this benefit, uh, you know, my future, my family's future in the industry. I guess my last question is the why. Why should they become advocates for the RNG projects? RNG and the carbon management, Mike, I think it's not going to be universal, mm-hmm. but I don't see the trends backing off on this anytime soon. And if the cheese companies are being pressured by their distributors to come up with this. And then those cheese companies are then pressuring their patrons. It can't hurt to get to know what those expectations are and see if if, if it's a good fit for your own farm. Some good comments indeed. Certainly enjoy the conversation. And we want to thank again uh, Professor Tim Bay, who is the Professor of Business Development, Energy Finance, and State Extension Specialist at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Again, DBA does have more details on this project, and certainly uh, you can get better educated and, and see what kind of actions you do want to take. Uh, I certainly want to thank the professor for uh, being a part of Dairy Stream today. As always, a big thank you goes out to our producer editor. That's Joanna Guza for her commitment to Dairy Stream. And a big thank you goes out to you for taking some time to learn more about renewable natural gas, to ask your own questions, and again, maybe start a conversation about how this fits into the future of agriculture as we look at an ever-changing agricultural environment. Again, thanks for joining us. My name is Mike Austin. Till next time, this has been Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. 
We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.